Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. Thank you for them words this morning. Um, well, you've heard it said it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a table to support me so um, I appreciate the lesson that we have and uh, but before I get into it um, as I always say I'm not brave enough to try this by myself so let's pray and ask God to touch us touch our minds let's try to shut everything off which is hard to do but let's try it let's pray and ask God for his will to be done. Father, we thank you today. We love you. We love you most of all, God. Right now, we ask you in Jesus' name to anoint our minds, our hearts, Lord God. Touch us, strengthen us, Lord God, to focus on you and on your word only, Lord God. For I know that it is the lifeblood that nourishes us, God. Touch us this day. Thank you, God. Touch all the ministering that's going to be going forth this day. Anoint us, God, with your mighty help and strength, God, I pray. Thank you for what you're going to do, and we'll praise you for it, and thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The lesson this quarter, or this month, rather, is Dan's, or, or excuse me, is Where's Dan? And the name of the lesson today is Dan's Promise. So, but I got a, a few scriptures that I want to read before we actually get to the lesson, and the first one is in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 11. And I just want to say, when we go back to the Old Testament and look at the Bible calls uh, as an example, we're not throwing rocks at them and saying, look where they went wrong. The Bible literally says they are examples written for our admonition. In other words, just as a parent would as they love their children, they would take their children and just literally tell them, I really don't want you to make the mistakes that I have made or other experience that they know in other people. So that's what Paul is telling us that we should do. We should learn what is written down in this holy word because it was written for not nobody else. It was written for us to be to improve ourselves. So Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, now all these things happen unto them for examples, for they was written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world is come. And when you read this starting at 10, 1, and go through that, then you will realize that what he is addressing here mainly is idolatry. He is trying to get Israel... When you go back and see what this passage from 10.1 on, he's warning them against idolatry. He said, look, go back, 
Think of Israel, where they went wrong with Moses. And then that's why he says, I'll read verse 12. Wherefore, let him that think as he standeth take heed lest he fall. So I think Paul is telling the church, when you put anything ahead of God, your foundation is gonna suffer for it. Because that's why he said, you can't go out. You can't live with the world all week and come to church and think you're gonna be on solid ground. Because he's saying, you gotta take heed because you are going to fall. I can't live like the devil all week and come in here and think I'm gonna stand and join with our pastor and think everything's all right. Paul said, you gotta take heed if you do that. So he's telling the church, all of this happened so we could look at it and gain knowledge from it and it was written for our admonition. So that's what he's saying. The second one I wanna read, let's go to 2 Corinthians, and I'll read one more before we start. 2 Corinthians and chapter one, and let's read verse, let's start at uh, 19. 2 Corinthians 1, 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom was preached among you by us, even to me of Silvanus and Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him, was yea. Now, Paul was telling them here again, it was not us preaching to you and we're just telling you our own philosophy. Okay, it's yesterday, the next time we preach to you, it's nay. Paul was telling them it's not that. For the promises of God are yea and nay. And then that's the way in verse 20 is the one that for verse 20, we have our own version of this. We quote, for the promises of God are in him, yea and nay. But really, that's taken away from the verse. Let's read it the way the Bible says. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. For all the promises of God. Now, I would say it this way. For the Bible says, all the promises of God in him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. All of them. If you get anything in God... Let them talk about Jesus Christ all they want to. If you get any promises in God, it's gonna be by Jesus Christ. You can pray over your food, ask God to bless you over your food, but if you're not baptized in his name, what have you accomplished? For the Bible says, for all the promises of God are gonna be distributed by Jesus Christ. And they are all, uh, yea, in him, amen, unto the glory of God, by us, and that us, I believe, Paul is saying, the ministers that preach and the ones that are blessed, they can in turn bless others and telling him that all the promises are gonna come through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're gonna look at today is Dan's promise. So they are gonna be in him, a promise. So what we're gonna look at is literally Dan was offered as one of the 12 tribes of, his, uh, of Israel, a portion of land. Now we know, we've already seen where they go through and how they didn't inherit this piece of land, but I don't wanna throw rocks at them, uh, against them today. I wanna look at what happened and try not to look at them all from a negative point of view, but I hope with the Lord's help by the time I end that we can turn that and try to take what happened to them and I wanna look at it from a, um, uh, just a positive side. So at this point, Joshua takes, wait a minute, let's go. I need to at least read the, the focus verse. So it's in Joshua 19. Joshua 19, 
47 and 48. This is what the Bible says. But remember this 47th verse and 48. And the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them. There is a reason for that. Therefore, the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem, remember that name, and took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. There is going to be a lot to put together, I hope, by the time I'm through. But just remember that verse. So Joshua stands on a platform. He's addressing the children of Israel. And he comes to this point and he's telling them, okay, behind him is the temple. He's addressing the people, all the ones. And he tells them, he said, we have had astounding victories. We have seen what God has done. In fact, Joshua told him, we can't commit this to memory, only we must write this down. God has been so good to us at helping us gain victory after victory after victory. Make sure it is written down. And God has proved you could cross a river, literally, and not even get wet. So here is Joshua telling them, if God has clearly shown them at the point, Joshua's telling them, with God, we can do it. Don't trust your eyes, trust God. Whatever's standing in front of us, we just, we're just human. We just look at it like, I can't do this. And that's the problem. Within us, we can't do it. But Joshua's telling them, with God, we can do this. All I see is a river that's overflowed. And they said, they got the most, I've said it before, they got the most precious thing they own at the time, and that's the Ark of the Covenant. And God said, you t let them go first. And then when the sole of their feet touched the water, it parted, and they went across on sloppy wet ground? No. On dry ground, God let them go forth. So Joshua is telling them about their inheritance, but he's reminding them before he gets to it. God has done all of this. So therefore, you need to inherit what God has given you. He's talking to the children of Israel, all the tribes. They further, when they got to Ai, they had problems. But even in that difficulty, God brought victory in. They had that. Joshua himself witnessed the imaginable. Who could imagine? God said he prayed. We need more. God, we need more time. We're in a victory. You know what's happening here. Make the sun stand right there. And at Joshua's word, the sun stood right there. What would it look like? All of a sudden, the sundial don't move. I looked at it the last hour, and it didn't move. And Joshua said, at my word, because God trusted me and Israel too, that the sun didn't move just to give you victory. And Joshua was reminding them of all of this. We can't cut God off now. We have to do this. God has given us this land, as Brother Toby said, for an inheritance. This is something that we must leave. And the most important thing is God has said, the people that's living in your house, I put into your hand, meaning you go take it. You have the power to possess it. Go take it. It was physical to them. It is spiritual with us. I believe that. So he's telling them, I'll do it. I'll do whatever I got to do. If I got to make the sun stand still, I will do it. 
So he goes, he gives them the victory over that. Much, there was much more. Joshua was older at this point. Israel was older at this point. So he made the challenge. It was just Israel was getting tired, literally. As they aged, as they got to this point, it was just like life. Life was beginning to crowd in on them. It was just natural as you get older. But Joshua is standing there and he is doing everything he can to encourage Israel to just step up and let's do this. A lifetime of fighting, literally fighting, physical fighting had took its toll. But Joshua said, we hadn't accomplished everything that God has given us. We must pursue on because God will do whatever it takes. He will give us the strength that we need. Yes, we're weary. Yes, we're tired. But we can't stop where we're at. We must go on. And he's trying all of, with everything within in him to encourage Israel. Now, he's telling them, he's telling them we must go on. And the, even some of the people that were saying too much risk is required to go on. Literally, some of Israel was saying that. And Joshua, it just said, literally, in 8, 18 and 3, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? God had promised a portion of land to each to the 12 tribes of Israel, Dan being one of them. And he was said, this is yours for 100 years. No. This is yours forever. This is yours. All you got to do is tell that man to get out of your house. It's yours. Look at that from a spiritual point of view. There is possessions that I believe promises in this book that we must possess spiritually. Just look at that physical, but look at ours spiritually. God is saying, that house is yours. Now go take it. Literally, they're living in your house. They got your garden out there that they're reaping out of. I want you to possess it. You must go do it. The problem was being with some of them, they had occupied or they had took possession of the land, but they did not occupy the land. And Joshua was telling them, you can't do that. What's going to happen is the people that lived in them houses is going to realize nobody has moved in them houses and they're going to come back. So you just can't run them out and just say, that's my land. You've got to occupy the land. It's not enough to run them out. You've got to take possession of the land. So he's telling them, trying with everything he's in them to encourage them, to push them. And the soul, the last reason at the end of the day was God gave this to you. If you want it, then fight for it. That's literally, literally had to be the end. When their head, as we say, when their head hits the pillow, that's got to be the last thing on your mind. This is my possession. I don't care what they say, what they do, how much of a fight they put up. This is mine. God said it was mine, so therefore I want to possess it. It is mine. So you want to bring that up to today? Every promise is in here. Every promise is in here that Jesus Christ, that God gave every one of them. I got to fight for it. Spiritually, this is my possession right in here. Everyone, I don't have to say, well, I'm not Brother Pope. God's good to him, but he won't be good to me. That's the enemy talking. God said, all, 
All the promises of God are in him. Yea, and in him. Amen. That is God. All these promises are for each and every one. Joshua's final address reveal, reveal that certain enemies remained in the borders of Canaan. Now, the book of Judges even records a conflict between the Canaanite remnant. The problem, as Joshua saw it, is, is, was this. You've got to possess it. You have got to possess it. He called them all together. He said, literally, it sounds strong, but he rebuked them for their delay. And he's talking to a people just like him that's just tired. They're just weary. They'd, but he kept saying, you know, I, I believe he w was telling them, it's not that you're not weary, I'm weary. But we've got to take hold of what God has given us because if we don't, we're going to lose it. It's not good enough to run them out. We're going to lose literally what God said is yours. It's yours. So, Dan, Dan, I'm just going to read this the way they, the, the, they put it in here. Dan was promised, his promise of allotment is described in Joshua 19. It bordered on the west by the Mediterranean and extended north to Joppa. Near the boundaries of the tribe of Manasseh, it shared the east, the eastern border with Ephraim and uh, Benjamin, while Judah extended to the south and east. The trouble lay in the trouble lay to the southwest in the form of the Philistines, a pagan nation that repeatedly proved to be a thorn in the side of God's people. The Amorites also lived in the region. However, the Bible indicates that Dan had enough manpower to subdue these. Uh, renegade states. Now, Moses had commanded that the census be conducted prior to the conquest of Canaan, and the totals of these numbers are in Numbers 26. The tribe of Dan had 64,400 capable men of fighting, so they had enough. It was the second largest fighting army of the 12 tribes. So they were telling them, you got enough men. Dan, you are equipped especially when you got a God like the God we've got, take them 64,400 men and go get your homes. Tell them people to get out of your homes and they ain't coming back. This is yours. You have the manpower. So don't say it ain't, don't, don't blame it on God. Don't tell me you're weary. You've got the power to do this. So he's, he's telling them you have to do this. So now they're telling them this. Now, in the in, in the uh, in the Bible, in uh, Judges, I read one verse. In Judges 1 and 34, um, and the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they wouldn't even suffer them to come down into the valley. This is the people, the Philistines and the Amorites. And it's telling us here in the Bible in Judges, the Amorites wouldn't even let them come down into the plain. You stay in the mountains. I don't care what God has given you. He's not our God. You stay in the mountain. You stay where it's hard to live. I'm not even going to let you come down in the plain. We'll sleep in the houses on the flat ground. You stay in the hills. It's okay with it. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. But the Bible records that Dan had an inheritance. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. That's the way it started. He was to do this. This pronouncement echoed, meaning 
of Dan's name being a judge. His mother, Rachel, had given his son, her son, his name because she believed God had judged her situation, determined that she was worthy of a child. Dan had a place in this inheritance role. He was given a place. So these prophecies would fulfill in the life of Dan, his most famous ancestors, ancestor was one, Samson. So he was a strong man, and we know of Samson. He began to deliver Israel as that thorn in the flesh, the Philistines. So he caused a lot of grief to the Philistines. But yet, we know of Samson. He had this issue, and that he, where the Bible says that he killed, he killed the lion with his bare hands. So we, we see what Samson could do with the Lord's anointing with his hands. So God was saying, take them 64,000 and let them use their hands and occupy the land, possess it. But they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. It was theirs. It was theirs. I'm not throwing rocks. That's why I said in the beginning, we must look at this as an example for our admonition. All these promises, all these promises. I'm not trying to say, I'm here and Israel's here. No, I'm trying to say that this is something the Bible recorded for us, for us, for our admonition. So he, he takes, and Samson's story reminds us that it's just not enough to receive and to read these promises. We must possess the promises. That's what we had to do. The tribe of Dan... They had great potential. But by the time of the opening verse of Joshua 18, we see this promise was not obtained or fulfilled. Joshua, their leader, rebuked them for their failure to possess what God had said is yours. Is yours. This was yours. And you chose not to do it. Now, thankfully, the tribe of Dan had a leader who was not willing, who was willing, rather, to chant to challenge them. Joshua asked, how long will you ne neglect to go in and possess the land which the Lord God had given you? Now, the verse I read, the verse I read to you in the beginning, let me go back. In Joshua, the one, Joshua, it was Joshua 19, where it gives the, um, the inheritance. 1947. And the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them. Therefore the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called the name Leshem. Dan, after the name of Dan, their father. Now this, sad enough, this was done after the death of Joshua. Joshua had been just ringing in their ears. You've got to do this. <laughs> you can't give up your inheritance. So after Joshua died, this is what Dan did. They went and said, the Amorites and the Philistines, we're not dealing with them. We're tired of living in the hills. We're going to go to a people that we know we can conquer. We're going to go to them. We're going to fight them. 
We're going to kick them out, and we're just going to call it home. But this was done after Joshua's death. This was done after Joshua's death. So, literally, when a pastor gets up here and preaches under the anointing of God, and we squirm, excuse me, I squirm and think, and you know me, I got a small comfort zone. It don't take much for me, and I'm out of my comfort zone. But when God pushes me out through anointed ministry, and I'm pushed out of my comfort zone, all God is trying to get me to do is I got more for you. You think this little box is all that contains me? <laughs> I got so much more that you don't even aware of. You think the couple promises that you've inherited is all there is of me? You don't even know what's all of me. You think the little bit that you've inherited is all of me? And through his ministering, I'm shoved out of my box and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And God is saying, Go possess the rest of the promises that I've gave to you. And I'm thinking, I'm pushed out of my comfort zone. And God is saying, for a reason, you've been pushed out of your comfort zone. Not just a complaint against the one that pushed me out. I've been pushed out to try to get to realize that the two or three that I'm thinking, I'm happy. I'm not in the mountains anymore. I'm on the plane. And God is saying, through the ministering, possess what I've given you. It's already done. It's already done. Go fight for it. Go fight for it. That's all God is trying to do. Literally, we read of the eagles. When she's tired of her little ones being in the nest, what does she do? She makes the nest uncomfortable. Before, they was all comfortable and cozy and she's just feeding them and taking care of them. All of a sudden, you're fixing to get kicked out of the nest. It's not home anymore. It's time for you to get out of the nest. And that's what she does. So at times we think, I think that this box I'm in, that's it. God's good and everything's okay. And God is saying, you know what? You need to get out of this box and see what else and start exploring a little bit more. And that's all Joshua was trying to do to Israel. Quit living where you're at. There's so much more that there is of me that you need to know. He was trying to do. And Moses had told him literally what God had took him, how he had took him through the wilderness. And of all the trouble they had seen and the trials and the tribulation, it was to try them, to let them know that God was able to take them through any situation that they found themselves in. They was able to do it. And now, our troubles is not evidence that God doesn't love us, or that his promises are not true, literally. God causes our struggles to grow into the people so we can occupy the promises. And literally, if you have stayed true to God and went through certain situations that really tried you, I promise you, you have found, and you know for yourself, you have found yourself closer to God in the long run. It's when you don't give up when you stay true and when you quit telling yourself, what's happening to me? Why am I in this? The reason you're in this is to get closer to God, to have God reveal more of his, uh, 
a, a revelation to you of who he is. That's the whole purpose of it. Now, literally, the author of the book of Hebrews tells them that they was enduring a great struggle. They was poor, persecuted, and it, a few of them in Hebrews was tempted to go back to the old ways. And Paul was telling them, you can't do this. Don't go back to Judaism. He was telling them, if you do this, you cast away your confidence because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. You have a great reward. You have need of patience. After that, you have done the will of God that you may receive, the Bible says, the promise, the promise of the New Testament. Now, a promise is worthless unless we take possession of it. The Hebrews 6 and 2 warns us against to, not to be slothful. Literally, it says, now, and I just wrote this down. In Proverbs 22, 13, I don't know if I give, give this to him or not, but it says, the slothful man saith, the line, there is a line without. I shall be slain in the streets. And I thought, boy, what, we, what this country has went through in 20 it is so easy to relate to that. What I've went through and what this country's went through, just to say, you know what? Enough's enough. The slothful man says, if I go out, I'm just gonna be chewed on. And to play it, <laughs> to play it safe, I'm staying at the house. I know I'm not gonna be chewed on there. But the Bible calls that being slothful. And he says, I'll be slain in the streets. So now he even brought it. He said, the lion's even in the streets. So the Bible calls that slothful. The walk of faith. It's not a leisure walk in the park, and we know that to be true. But it's literally, as the Bible, as we know it, it's climbing a mountain. It literally is. It literally is. Patient perseverance is required if we hope to reach the summit. We are tempted to give up, settle on the plain. But what about... Dan, how did the tribe respond to Joshua's challenge? When the territory of the Danites was lost to them, they settled in Elishim and renamed it Dan after their ancestry, speaking of Dan. And this was the uttermost part, north point of the land, because they wanted to make sure that the point that they conquered wasn't any part of any other tribe. So that they conquered, that they had. And they didn't want to, but what they done is they deceived themselves. They deceived themselves in calling it Dan. Now, I'm actually going to start to close, but I'm going to take a, take a few minutes in doing. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings Excuse me, Second Kings. Second Kings five one. The Bible speaks of Naaman. I'm just gonna make a point on Naaman. Second Kings five one. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host, I want you to listen what all the great things the Bible says about Naaman. 
captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Now, Naaman had this horrible, incurable, crippling disease that would slowly result in his death. And if you've ever read anything about leprosy, truly of what leprosy is and was, I guess, in the Old Testament, it's even hard to read about. I mean, if you're squeamish like I am, it's even hard to read about. I mean, this was truly an awful disease to have and the reaction that your body had to leprosy. So no wonder that in the New Testament, sin is likened to leprosy. But here is the point I'm just wanting to make is here's all these great things that's told about Naaman, all the good things, the kind things, but at the very end, but it says, but he was a leper. That's the last few words, but he was a leper. And it was just, it was just awful. And I was thinking, promises, Dan's promise. I'm gonna make this personal with me but just relate it to yourself. Make it personal with you. Ken was born in the image of God. God breathed into his nostrils and he received the breath of life. God sent an angel to watch over him and to protect him. And in the summer of 1982, allowed him to come to a church that bore his name. And from that day forward, has helped me to walk through all the troubles, the trials, the torments that I've had to go through. But God has helped me through them all. He has never left me, never forsaken me. But through it all, he has been there with me. But through all of that, I am a leper. I have spiritual leprosy. I have something that's incurable that man cannot fix, man cannot cure. It is only through the blood of the lamb that this is gonna be cured. I can't do it. I can't find any cure. I can't do it. And the problem lies just as it did with Naaman. I don't know. The Bible speaks of at least five men besides Naaman. And they are all, I'm just, I'll just throw this out. There's food for thought. Every one of them that you read, it records mighty man of valor. Naaman, what's different with him? This, he was a Gentile. The Bible just records he was a mighty man in valor. It don't change the definition, but it just records it that way. I try to pay attention to every single word. So here's Naaman. He's ticked off. 
He should have, Elisha should have come out and struck his hand over me and done something. The Bible even says he left in a rage. He was mad. He says, I tell you what, here's the problems with the Gentiles. There's better rivers. There's better rivers than this muddy Jordan that I can go wash in. I don't need to do this. What am I saying? I try to be kind here. There's people all over America that's being told, you don't have to dip seven times. You read of seven in the scripture, it's completing the process. Complete the process. When it comes to salvation, all you gotta do is repent and you're done. This don't confirm that, not me. This don't confirm that. You dip six times, Naaman, and you're not healed. You must dip seven times. You complete the process or you're not made whole. You must repent. That's literally why the Bible says you are born again because that's what it feels like. You repent of your sins, you take his name, the blood is applied to you, and you receive his spirit. This, excuse me, this that no man can tame. You speak as, as the spirit gives the utterance, then you are sealed. That is completing the process. So Naaman is saying, I can't do this. I'm not gonna do this. There's cleaner rivers. Here is a Gentile saying, no, 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 no. There's better ways to do this. And even his servant said, look, you are the one that's making this hard. It's not hard. You just take as the prophet said, go do this. So Naaman says, you know what? Let's do it. He goes down, dip seven times. And the Bible says, his leprous skin became that of a little child. Imagine the change, meaning if his fingers had fell off, they came back. Talk about the restoration. The seventh time that he came up, he came up with fingers. If his nose had fell off, he came up made whole. That's why it says being born again, you are a new creature in Christ, made in Christ Jesus. That's why it is talking about completing. Don't let someone tell us that it's just repenting and you're done. You're not done. You must complete. These promises are for us. All of them is for us. It's not going here and stopping. Now, it's not. You must complete the process. One more thing and, and I'll hurry. Now, go with me and, and, and you'll, see, you'll see where this ties in. All right, go with me to Matthew, and, and, and I'm sorry, but I'll hurry. Uh, go with me, and you'll see where this ties in. Uh, Matthew uh, 16 and 13. This is where Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, and I'll tie this in, okay? 16, 13, Jesus goes to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who, who do men say that I am? Okay, we know that when he went to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, it was idle country. He's standing up there. He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Here's Jesus standing among them idols. They start giving him all them idols. Jesus, I believe, this is my commentary. He, he tells them, look, I'm not looking for a religious answer. You tell me, what say you? Who am I? He's standing in all these idols. Who am I? So they start naming names. No, 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 no. Who am I? The apostle makes this declaration and then he tells him, so this, he makes this declaration. 
then, and, and then he gives this. And then he said, I, this, I'll build my church on this revelation. The gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. And he goes on. And then he takes this. And, and, and this, what promise? I'm fixing to tie this up. What promise do you want to leave your family? We read it right in the beginning. I didn't know this till yesterday. The verse that we read in 47 where Dan said we're tired of the mountains, there's a people, their name is Lisham. We can go, they're easy. You read it, you read it in Judges. They're an easy people. They dwell with the Zidonians. They're conquer. They're just an easy people. They'll be easy to conquer. We can take their land. I believe Jesus took his disciples to this land for a reason. You can look at it either way, but here's my point. You do a word search on Caesarea Philippi. This was the land that they had went to that Dan said, you know what? We kick these people out and we'll call it Lysham. Lysham was Caesarea Philippi. This is where Jesus was standing. So I can say, I can cut them off at the knees and say, Dan, why, why would you inherit a land? And then later, it would be called Caesarea Philippi and Jesus would go to it. But I'm not gonna do that. If you find someone that they've burned every bridge there is to burn and feel like there's no hope for them, you take them to this passage and say, this is a promise. Dan isn't even recorded. We learned that last, last week. Dan isn't even recorded in the end. He took a land that wasn't even his and says, you know what, for our sake, for our sake, we just call it Dan. And the Bible says that this is where Jesus took them. He took them to Lysham. And therefore he asked them in Lysham, which is now called Caesarea Philippi. And then he's asking his disciples, who am I? Who am I? But on a land that wasn't even literally inherited by a land that God gave to them. This is a so-called inheritance. This is where the greatest revelation known to the church was revealed. And literally God tells the apostle Peter, I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom. So we know on the day of Pentecost, when the Bible says, Peter took that key and opened the door of salvation to what? Us, the Gentiles. And it says keys. So I believe that means literally, no matter who you are, from what nation you come from, what color, what race, it doesn't matter. The keys to the kingdoms was unlocked by the apostle and it happened in a partial of land that wasn't even part of Israel's history, true history. God takes it. So now, if someone says, I, I, there, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. You take them to Matthew 16, 13. Here is a land that God goes to and says, you know what? 
Dan claimed this land as part of their inheritance, but it's not really. And the greatest revelation known to the church was gave on this piece of property. I believe that's mercy. It wasn't Dan's land by inheritance. It was their so-called inheritance. God's, God could have just said, you know what? Dan called this land his, but let me tell you something. It's not his. They just took it from these people. It's not what I gave them. But we don't read that. Jesus just asked his disciples, who do you think I am? And when the apostle Peter said it, that's where we have this astounding revelation. That's why I say I'm going to choose to look at the positive side of this. Sure, Dan has regrets. Dan had promises. But you know what? So do I. And may mercy be dealt with me. Because God said, I'm going to reveal the greatest revelation known to the church world as we know it was revealed on a piece of property that wasn't even in the inheritance. Bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.